I'm so grateful tonight that eternal life doesn't wait to start till we get to heaven. Jesus is eternal life, so he in us, um, he in us is eternal life. And so eternal life doesn't wait till we get to heaven. Eternal life is now because eternal life is in us. You know, I never, I hope I never get over the fact, I don't have this on PowerPoint tonight, but it's in, it's in the account, it's just coming to mind right now, it's in, it's in the account where, where Jesus went into the temple and he overthrew the money changers. Remember that? He was riding in Jerusalem and he went into the temple, he, he overthrew the money chain, the tables, it just, it's a side of Jesus we read very little about, but it was quite a happening that day where he just, he overturns the tables and he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. That day, we're talking about the literal temple, the four walls, if you will. But isn't it encouraging to know that in the new covenant, who is the temple of God? We are the temple of God. We are the temple, the vessel. We heard about a vessel tonight. We are in the new covenant, Christ in us. We are the temple of the living God. Therefore, this house, this house, this house shall be called a house of prayer, a man of prayer, a woman of prayer. I hope I never get over the fact that we contain the very power of God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. Are you all breathing out there? Yeah. The power that raised, that rolled the stone away, raised Jesus from the dead, is in us if we're born again. We are the temple of the living God. Wow. Wow. Hope I never get over it. The fact that I contain, this vessel contains the power of God through the Holy Spirit. And that's the subject tonight. A subject that I shied away from many years in preaching about because of, well, if I'm really honest, just fear of being misunderstood because it can become such a controversial subject among God's people. And I wonder why. I wonder why. Sometimes the Holy Spirit. And I want to also say on the onset that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're really talking about the Godhead even. You know, it's, 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 it's the mystery. You know, you, you, we have the mystery of marriage, two people but yet one. It's kind of like the Trinity, three but yet one. So when we talk about one, we're really talking about all of the Godhead, and yet each one has their part, and so it's the mystery of the Trinity. But we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we want to look into that subject here tonight. And I believe that 
we live in such a time where it is time for the church to rise up and play offense in the kingdom of God. So many of us, we find ourselves only playing defense. I am not a basketball expert. I know a little bit about it. I enjoy watching it. But on occasion, after a game or something, I might go online or I might find a link that takes you to an interview of a coach or a player. Not always, but on numerous occasions, I have heard these words from a coach or a player. Defense is what won our game tonight. So what, what, are, what are they meaning by that? What are they meaning when they say defense is what won our game tonight? Are they saying all we did tonight is play defense? Is that what they're saying? No. What are they saying? I believe what they're saying or the statement they're making is our defense was so good. It was so strong that it ends up turning into offense. Now, I do know this much about basketball, and that is that this little round orange thing that they dribble around, at some point in a game, it has to go through that other orange ring a 10 feet off the floor with a net on the bottom in order to put points on the board. I know that much about it. <laughs> a team would never win if all they do is just play defense. Points would never end up on the board. So tonight, I believe when, when, when we have a clear understanding of the purpose and the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, I believe it will cause us to rise up and play offense in the kingdom of God. I'm not against playing. We need to be aware of spiritual warfare. We need to defend against the tricks of the enemy and all of that. But at some point, we got to rise above that and play offense in the kingdom of God where we set the stage. The world has done an incredible job to influence the church, unfortunately, because I believe there is a lack of understanding of the power of the Holy Ghost in us. Okay, good. Okay, I just wondered if we're together. Sometimes I don't believe we have a, an understanding of the power that is within us. It's the power of the Holy Spirit, and it will cause us, if I have a clear understanding of His power and His anointing and the filling of the Holy Ghost, I believe it changes the way I approach life. And it causes me to rise up and walk in newness of life, in victory, and in boldness in the Holy Ghost. Not in arrogance, not in pride, but in boldness in the Holy Spirit. Playing offense in the kingdom of God, where the Christian sets the stage for how it ought to be. Young people rising up and setting the stage rather than the worldly influence affecting the young people. But the young people rise up and walk under the anointing. We play offense in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Nevertheless, Jesus said, 
John 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. What a plan of God. You know, Jesus was the Son of God. He was the Son of Man. So he says it is expedient, or other translations would use the word helpful. It is helpful that I go because as the Son of Man, he could not be everywhere present. So it's, it's helpful if I go so that the Comforter, the Holy Ghost, can come and be everywhere present all the time. I, I, I wake up often Sunday mornings, and I, 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 I'm sitting there praying and, and reading and meditating, whatever, and, 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 and thinking of my, my dear friends eight hours ahead of us in Africa and other places where, where or, or when, when we go to bed Saturday night, they're already up, and they're worshiping, they're praising God, they're singing, they're preaching, and all, the Holy Spirit is is there. While I go to sleep, the Holy Spirit is here. He's everywhere, prayed all the time. Wow. It's amazing. And then I take such comfort in this. Weeks like this, you know, there's, there, there's, there's no way that one family, one individual, one family could come and could, when, when all of us walked in here tonight, now, you, you have no idea what all I went through today, I have no idea what all you went through. We all came walking in here tonight with, with you know, different things going on in every heart. You know, just, just that, that's the way it is. I don't know what all everybody dealt with today. You don't know what all I dealt But I do know this. There, there's, there, there's no way one individual, one family could come tonight and could meet every need. You know, I look at you, look at you, you, you. We all have different needs in our heart. And there's no way that one individual here could meet those needs. But what an incredible blessing to know. There is one who can meet every need. There can be, oh, I, I, you know, we, we could have three categories of people here tonight. We could have people here who are unsaved, not, not born again, not part of the family of God. We could have people here tonight that, that have been in fellowship with God, in tune with God because of circumstances, hard things in life, drifted away from God, backslidden, not in tune with God. We could have those here tonight. And I know we have these here, those who are in tune with God, on fire for God, and can't wait for more. I trust there's plenty of those here tonight. But we could have, so it doesn't matter in what category, it could be four or five categories, but at least those three could be here tonight. And, oh, just the idea that the Holy Spirit can take an unsaved person and can draw them right into salvation. And can, while, it's, uh, while all of that is happening, can bring a backslidden person right back into fellowship with God. All while he's also ministering to the saint of God who is excited about the things of God. All at the same time, the Holy Spirit does it all. Yes. Yes. It's amazing to me how that works. But it's so freeing. It's so freeing. We're only vessels he works through. And you watch him. You watch him draw people to himself. And then just change our lives. Refresh us. Anoint us. Empower us. Wow. The Holy Spirit. So Jesus said, it's going to be helpful if I go so the Holy Ghost can come. Now he can be everywhere present. So right now, it doesn't matter. All over the world, people can tune in to the Holy Spirit. Never sleeps, never slumbers. What a Savior. Go to Hebrews chapter 5. 
if you will, for a moment tonight. This is not directly talking about the Holy Spirit, but I want to make a point. Hebrews chapter 5, in verse uh, 12, 12, 13, and 14, I want to begin there tonight. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. I so, so appreciate how you all bring your Bibles to church. I hear those pages going like that. That is just, that is music to my ears. Just love it. Just love it. I'm not against using electronics and all that. and You may use it in that way, but there, there's something... There's something about it, just something about this. Love to hear that. So if you're looking at electronic, don't feel bad, but you know what I mean. But in this passage of Scripture, the Hebrew writer says, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become of such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age or mature, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, the reason I want to go to this passage is just to make a very brief point. To discern both good and evil. Isn't it interesting that the Hebrew writer didn't say, well, the reason we don't just stay on milk, but we go on to the deeper things, we go on to meat, is so that we discern what's evil. He didn't just say, or so that we discern what's good, but he said both, good and evil. Now, would you agree with me tonight that there is a lot of confusion I want to say in the world, but I'll actually say this, that there's a lot of confusion in the church of what is good and evil. There's a lot of confusion in the body of Christ about what's right and about what's wrong. There's a lot of confusion. Why is that? Why is there confusion about what's right and what's wrong? According to this, one of the reasons could be maybe there's too many milk Christians operating. You know, I found in working with churches and pastors over the years that a lot of times the milk Christians are often the most critical ones in the church. Ooh. Sometimes ouch fits a little better than amen. But think about it. There's a lot of, you know, Jesus did not save us just to fill a spot in the pew. much more than that. It's much more than that. Milk Christians. You know, um, then he uses, he uses this interesting illustration of milk and meat. Um, let's see, who could I use here tonight? Somebody I know. This couple right here. Is it Nick and Lee? Lisa? Nick and Lisa. Okay, most of you know them. Okay. Nick and Lisa. Let's just say for instance, tonight, Nick came home from work, and I don't, I'm not even sure what you work or all that or how your evening routines are, but let's just, let's just, just hang. It's not going to be embarrassing, so just hang tight. 
But let's just suppose Nick come home tonight and Lisa has dinner prepared. And he looks at the table or wherever they normally sit, and there's, there's two items on the table tonight, only two. And those two items, one is a tall glass of milk, and the other is a nice, thick New York strip steak on a china plate, I mean grilled just the way Nick likes it. In fact, better yet, let's make it a filet mignon. How about that? You hungry yet? Great. I mean, grilled just the way he likes it. And he looks at this, and I would imagine he would be a little bit baffled at this, these two items. Why only two, and why in such a way? Then not only that, but Lisa says, uh, Nick, I know this is a bit strange, but you're only allowed one of these. Only the milk or only the steak, but not both. Now, here's, here's where I need your help, because I don't know Nick that well. So help me out guys, especially those who know him, which would you think Nick would choose, the milk or the steak? Well, no, let, 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 me, let me say this. Let's say he fasted all day. Okay, let's get that setting here. So now he comes home, and Lisa says, okay, we've got a glass of milk. We've got a filet mignon. You can only have one. Help me out. Which do you think Nick would choose? The steak, without question, without question. In fact, we would probably feel like he would be foolish to not pick the steak, right? It would be a foolish decision if he would not. Why? Because I wonder if we don't do that so often spiritually where, where, where we become satisfied with if, if there's such a thing as the lesser things of God. I'm not sure if that even, but just to make a point. We become satisfied with the lesser things of God when the more is an option. That's the point. And we become satisfied just drinking milk, just remaining who we are, just, just remaining there. But no, when I believe I fully embrace the Holy Ghost, I am willing to say, Lord, change me, shake me up, take me deep. Reveal your word to me. Let's go from milk to meat. And the only way I go from milk to meat is fully embracing the Holy Spirit. I'm afraid today, or I'm concerned today, that many are afraid of fully embracing the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see why tonight as the sermon goes on. But so, discern, how do we discern both good and evil? I believe it's through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Let's go on tonight, real quick here tonight. Proverbs 29, 18a, the first part of that verse, where there is no vision, the people perish. Now, if you would, if you would turn there and study that, we, we know that verse very well. Where there's no vision, the people perish. What that verse is really saying, and I, and I used to use it as in, well, there's no, there's no vision for missions, there's no vision, people are perishing, and it could mean that, but what this is really saying is where there is no prophetic vision and or revelation. If you look at other translations, that's really what this verse is, where there is no prophetic vision and or revelation, people cast off restraint. That's really what that verse is saying. Why is that? I believe when there's no revelation happening, no prophetic vision or revelation happening, we just remain on milk. Cast off 
restraint. And that's what I believe is happening way too often. Then in John 14, verse 25 and 26, Jesus said these words, These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. And this is the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, go to Luke chapter 3, and we want to continue on. Luke chapter 3, we could take this from different ones of the Gospels, but I've chosen Luke here tonight. Luke chapter 3, and this is where, let's see, we're going to pick up in about verse 16. And this is where John the Baptist was baptizing. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this is what he said. John answered, talking about John the Baptist, John answered saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. And he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Whose fan is in his hand, he will thoroughly purge his floor, will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. And then we're, let's jump ahead to verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. Then in verse chapter 4, verse 1, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. I want to pause there for just a moment, backing up to the words of John the Baptist, where he said, I baptize you with water, but there's one mightier than I that's coming. He's referring to Jesus. And he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now, here's where it gets a little touchy, or it can. Terminology about the Holy Spirit. I want to say on the onset, let's not get caught up on terminology to trip us up in fully embracing Him. When I hear the term baptism of the Holy Spirit, you don't have to answer, but just what goes on in your heart. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. Different translations use different Wordings, baptism of the Holy Spirit, filling of the Holy Spirit, anointing of the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage us tonight, we can call it what we want, but I need it. We can call it what we want, but I need it. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, filling of the Holy Spirit, anointing of the Holy Spirit, whatever it is, I need it. Now. Maybe some conversations we've had with people, controversial conversations about this. Well, don't I receive the Holy Spirit when I get saved? 
Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Interesting that our opening was in Acts tonight, because we're going to be there pretty much the rest of the time. But Acts chapter 2, this is where Peter was preaching. Let me see. No, there it is. I was one page. I was already in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 2. This is where Peter was preaching. And then in verse 37 it says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So do we receive the Holy Spirit when we get saved? So here he said, Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So there we have that. Now, another question that we may have had a conversation with, what happens after this? Does anything more happen after I receive the Holy Spirit as a gift based on my confession in Jesus Christ? Well, don't take my words for it. Let's go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, and here Peter again, he was preaching to the Sanhedrin. And then in verse, specifically in verse 8, I want to draw that out tonight. Acts chapter 4, verse 8, it records, then Peter, what are the next words, at least in my translation? Then Peter... Filled with the Holy Ghost. So it specifically mentions that Peter was filled with the Holy Ghost. In fact, if we refer back to Luke chapter 3, right, as Jesus was led into the wilderness, it records, and Jesus full of the Holy Ghost. So now we have a recording here, a scripture here. Peter, so would we all agree together that at this point in Peter's life, he was filled with the Holy Ghost? We all together? Okay. Now, was Peter ever filled again? Oh. Okay. Well, let's look at it. Let's look at it. Let, 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 let's go down through here. Okay. Um, so Peter filled with the Holy Ghost, verse 8, and then we go on down. Verse 13, it says this. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. They took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They were observing. They were watching what was going on, and they were doing these miracles. <laughs> and um, You know, this verse reminds me also of something else. Um, some years ago, I want to say about maybe 2008, somewhere back there, we're having tent meetings out in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Right there in the corner of 340 and New Holland Road. And, 
had the tent set up there, and I had a little study camper out behind the tent. And one afternoon, I'm in there studying and praying, and my wife comes in, and we chatted about the evening service, and we're just talking about what all to include in the evening service and just talking about different things. And then um, she was just, just exiting, just going out of the little trailer, already had the door open down the first step, and she said, oh, honey, let me pray for you. And she turns around, and she lays hands on me, and she starts praying for me. And as she was praying, she, in her prayer, she said, Lord, I thank you that you use unlearned and ignorant men. She actually prayed that. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. She's sitting back there smiling. I love you too, honey. You know what? She meant she had a good heart, and there's, there was no, not, not, nothing meant by it. But may I just encourage us? I, I am not against education, learning, and, and all. I, I want to continue to learn and educate. I, I'm not against that. But, friend, let me just encourage us. Never replace education over the anointing. That's how we can remain on milk. If we put more emphasis on that, and, and again, I want to be very clear. I am not against learning and education and school, and I, I'm all for it. But let's never replace that for the anointing because there is no greater educator. Is that, a, is that a word? Okay, good. There's no greater educator. I don't think I ever used that word than the Holy Spirit when it comes to this word. In fact, that's why a non-believer doesn't have revelation, except the Spirit draw them for salvation. But what, I mean, the Holy Ghost anointed the writers to write this word. That's why we got to be born again by the Spirit of God to understand the word. Yeah, yeah. But they noticed. Now remember, we're still asking the question, Peter was filled in verse 8, will he be filled again? Now in verse 13, then they perform this miracle. Let's see. Verse 19, Peter and John answered and said uh, unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we've seen and heard. I mean, they were just like doing all these things. Now, let's jump down to verse 29. And this is what was happening with the apostles. And may I say, including Peter including Peter, and here it says in verse 29, and now, Lord, this is what the apostles were praying, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings. Grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. Verse 31, look what happened. And when they had prayed... The place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all, what are the next words? Filled with the Holy Ghost, including Peter. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. I believe Peter was filled in verse 8, he was filled again in verse 31, and perhaps many times since. But think about it tonight. Whatever we want to call it, I need it. I need it. 
There's something I notice in Scripture. In fact, that passage you read tonight about Saul being converted and Ananias um, praying over him. What was one of his prayers? I don't have time to turn. Well, actually, let, let me just go because I'm already in Acts. It's in the bottom left page, left corner here. Th th this is what when Ananias was praying, he, he laid his hands and said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. But the interesting thing is, when he was filled with the Holy Ghost, it says there in verse 20 then, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogue that he is the Son of God. There's something about fully embracing the Holy Spirit. There is a, there is a, um, a what's the word? Humble boldness that is attached to it. And a kingdom authority that portrays humility, not arrogance. In the life of the believer, I believe, when I fully embrace the Holy Spirit. Something that happens there. The apostles were praying. The place was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. I actually wrote Africa behind that verse. <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen it. Been challenged, encouraged with that. Now, I want to continue on this line, but transitioning somewhat in the discerning of the spirits. Would you agree with me that there are a lot of spirits out there. In fact, um, is it 1 John 4, verse 1, I believe it is, where it says, test the spirits and see if it is of God. So that tells me there's a lot of spirits out there, but we all know there is one holy spirit, and the reason he is called not just a spirit is because he is the Holy Spirit. And I'm afraid there is a lack of understanding the difference between all the other spirits and the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Why is that? Well, go to Acts chapter 8. We're going to see an issue there that may help us to understand it just a bit better. It says in Acts chapter 8, verse 9, that there was a certain man, his name was Simon, a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city, he used sorcery, and he bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. Now, you ever, you ever heard of movements? We've all probably heard of movements, so... How do we know, because not, not all movements are bad, how do we know whether a movement is of God or not? How do we know that? I remember asking the Lord that many years ago. How do I know that? Because all these different movements. Well, we have Simon, the sorcerer here. And what was one of the first things we read about him in his description of who he is? Giving out that himself was some 
great one. First red flag. You know, the Holy Spirit never exalts self. How do we know if a movement, uh, one thing God laid on my heart many years ago is in discerning of movements, is it of God or is it not? If I hear more about the man leading the movement than I do the testimony of God and how the Holy Spirit is changing the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, it's usually woe unto that movement. Mm -hmm. Think about it. Do we hear more about the individual's Behind the movement, or do we hear what God is doing in the lives of people? But Simon here, let, let, let's read on. Giving out that himself was some great one. Not, not, look at this, Look at the people. Look at the surrounding. To whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this is the great power of God. Wow. So you have a man by the name of Simon giving out that himself is some great one, and the people around him said, wow, this man, he is the great power of God. But was he? No, he was not. So what was going on? Why did the people not discern what was going on? And to him... They had regard because that of long time, I'm in verse 11, of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries, magic. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now, I want to back up and camp a bit around the discerning of spirits. Why didn't the people discern that he was not a man of God? You know what's interesting and why it's sometimes so difficult to discern unholy spirits is because of how close they are to the Holy Spirit. How will I know and discern unholy spirits? Um, one day, do you ever have those duh moments? I was praying about this. I said, Lord, how do, how do I discern these? How, how do I discern this stuff? Because I was so frustrated with all the unholy spirits operating out there and one day, this revelation came, and it was like, so why are you so focused on the unholy spirits? The revelation was, the only way the unholy spirits could ever exist is the real deal is somewhere. Wow. Satan can never create anything. He has to work off of what God has created. So the revelation that day was the only reason the unholy spirits exist, the real deal is somewhere, yes. So go after the real deal, and you will discern the unreal deal. Um, do you have any money on you? I know I'm catching you off guard. You're wondering. Well, it, it, any, anything will do. Oh, man, this guy's loaded. I mean, you got more than that in you got more than that in there, but it, it's one, one, 
No, dollar bill is fine. Uh, oh, there, there's another one. There's another one. Probably a few zeros in, but it, it's okay. This, th- th- this will do. See, okay, one dollar bill. As far as I know, this is the real deal. When they teach people how to detect counterfeit money, what do they do? Do they teach them about the counterfeit or do they teach them about the real money? The real money. They teach them about the real money. Why? Why don't they teach them about the counterfeit? Yeah. The reason they teach people about the real money is so that the moment any unreal, doesn't matter what, any unreal money comes in front of them, there is an immediate detection that's not right. Because they know the real deal. They know the real money. They're so familiar with the real money that no matter what other money comes their way, there's an immediate detection. That's not right. I long to see that in my life and every believer all over the world where we know the real deal, the Holy Ghost. That the moment any other spirit comes against us, there is an immediate detection. That is not the Holy Spirit. And that's what was lacking in the people in Acts chapter 8. They didn't know the real deal. They said, wow, Simon, he's a great man, the power of God. They had no discernment because they didn't know the real deal. Wow. I want to know the Holy Ghost. I want to know him so much. At the moment, you know, uh, some years ago, my boys and I, we were, uh, by the way, I'm giving this back. The last thing you need in the Kelowna news is preacher steals money from member, you know, but I've, you're all my witnesses, I gave it back. But some years ago, my boys and I were setting up at a tent meeting and Saturday, going to start Sunday night, and we're in there setting up, and all of a sudden, middle of the afternoon, two, two gentlemen come walking into the tent. I didn't know either one of them. Saw him coming, but they're come walking in there, and they got kind of a high strut with him, you know, and or about him. And the one comes up, he shakes my hand, and he said, "Hey, I'm 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 so and so, and and here here was a guy that I had talked to on the phone, but hadn't really met him. One of those where you ever excuse me, you ever talk to somebody on the phone, and 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 you've never met him, but you have a mental picture of what they should look like when you meet him. One of those. Well, that that that's what was happening that day, and he didn't look anything like I pictured. But anyway, I, I was getting over that, but he shook my hand and said, I was like, oh, man, good to meet you. I talked to you on the phone and, and all of that. And he introduced himself. And, and then he introduces his friend that was with him. And, and, and he said, and this is so-and-so, and he loves Jesus more than both of us together. And I was like, oh, good to meet you, brother. I mean, sorry, my hands are cold, but my heart is warm. I get that way when I get nervous. My hands get cold. I said, well, good, good to meet you. And, uh, I mean, I, I, I love to meet people that love Jesus more than, you know, him and I together. And I just, I, I, I greeted him, and, and, and just within five seconds, he, this guy just pops up, and he says, what's the Spirit saying? Like it was in that tone. What's the Spirit saying? Like, I mean, it just completely, completely caught me off guard. I had, did not expect this whatsoever. And it was like, um, well, you're from this community, and uh, um, what what are what are you what are you sensing? Well, what are you going to do for baptism? 
baptism? Hmm, good question. Well, maybe that's where um, the local church, we could partner together and work together. Why aren't you going to have any converts? Sorry, I made you jump, didn't I? I'm sorry. If I put people to sleep, i got to wake them up. No, it's not like you were sleeping. But that, that's, how he was, that's how he was talking to me, in that tone, in that attitude. And I could say, uh, call this what you want. But when that third question came like that, and I, I, I needed this, but I felt from the very top of my white hair sticking up, had more black ones back then, but from the very top of my hair sticking up to the very bottom of my feet, there was just a Holy Ghost anointing that came over me. Man, I needed that that day. I remember just looking at those two brothers, and I said, you know, guys, I can appreciate you all stopping in here. And said, um, um, I'm trying to learn how to walk under the anointing, the filling of the Holy Spirit. And if I sense any other spirit coming against me, I just stand up against it in the name of Jesus. God gave me grace to say it just in that way. And he just, this guy that supposedly loved Jesus more than both of us together, he just pops up and says, hey, that's right, that's what I believe too, just wanted to stop in and bless you. And off they walked. End of conversation. End of conversation. Now, I don't hold this against them. I trust God has, like, completely changed their attitude and way. I, I don't hold it against them, never did. Don't hold it against them. But that day, if I would not have been in tune with the real deal, that conversation would have went very ugly, very quickly, very quickly. Discerning of spirits. Um, as we try to bring all of this together, the invitation tonight after a while, it's going to be, Lord, I, I don't want to be scared of the Holy Spirit. And the reason I say that is some years ago, it was one of the first series of revival meetings we ever did. Not the first, but in that era. Driving away from that church. Late Sunday night, during the night, I was driving. All the, the children were really little, and they were all sleeping. And I'm sitting there driving, and I'm reflecting. And there was something God was speaking to me about, about what I'm sharing tonight. And I was like, Lord, what did I see in that congregation? Here's, here's what I saw. I saw two groups of people. In one congregation. They were all attending that congregation. But I saw two groups of people. Here were the two groups. Now I know we have three sections here. But anyway, I'll use these two as one group. And this as another group. Now this has nothing. I didn't warn the ushers in this. It had nothing to do with who's sitting where. But here's, here's the two groups that I saw. And I... I, I don't like I don't like to use the term conservative and liberal because it's you know it's it's really an irrelevant term. It depends what perspective you're coming from. I mean, 
you know, to me, people look at me, you know, you, you know, a, a Baptist might look at me as a conservative and an Amish might look at me as a liberal. So what am I? I mean, you know, I'm just, I'm a born again child of God on my way to heaven, just stopping here for a little bit, you know, so, so it's irrelevant, but sometimes we use those terms to identify, but may, maybe I could use this term. I saw a group of legalistic thinking and I saw a group of grace only thinking. Those were the two groups I observed in that congregation. And I remember sitting there driving the wee hours of the morning, just talking to the Lord and saying, Lord, how do you deal with this? What, 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 what does it mean for me? And how do I process all of this? But the revelation that night was, is I believe this is why we sometimes are afraid of fully embracing the Holy Spirit because of what we have seen in people who profess to be filled with the Spirit, but the lifestyle has went the ways of the world. So we look at that. Here, here's, here's what I saw in that congregation. And let, again, let's use this as a legalistic and this grace only. What I saw is this group here came out of that group, came out from under a very strict, dominating, controlled environment, church life, did not know how to even have personal convictions because they were always told what to do and what not to do, what to wear and what not to wear. Everybody always told them how to live. And so they're, they're coming out from that, and all of a sudden they're over here like, well, man, this is, this is freedom. It's, it's freedom from the group, but freedom in the spirit is not boundaryless. Freedom in the spirit actually has a high standard of boundaries. And so all of a sudden, they're over here. Well, I'm living under grace. I'm free. I, I can basically do what I want to do. It doesn't matter. I'm under grace. Well, I am grateful for the grace of God. But the grace of God doesn't give us the liberty to do what we want to do, but the power to do what we ought to do. Yeah. And then this group was watching this group. And they're saying, if that's what the Holy Spirit does, hmm, we're going to clamp down some more. We're going to control this thing. We become more controlling, domineering, and dogmatic. And may I suggest that both groups are in the ditch? <laughs> yeah. And the reason I say I wonder if we're not scared sometimes is because we're comparing ourselves among ourselves. We're watching each other. We're saying, well, I don't want that because that's not the life of the Spirit. I don't want that because if that's what the Spirit does, I don't want to go the ways of the world. So I don't want to, so I'm just going to like, better not go too deep with the Holy Spirit. And we find ourselves there. And if that's where we are, we're going to remain on milk. We're going to remain on milk. You know, this whole thing of boundaries, some time ago, let me see if I can find this. Thought I had it here somewhere. Yes, here it is. Um, some time ago, at our home church, where over July 4th weekend, we were home and our lead pastor was up front and he was asking people about, uh, you know, talking about freedom in our country, liberty in our country and all of that. And then, and then like uh, spiritual liberties. And what is, what is liberty? 
what is liberty to you? In fact, Paul said, we are called to liberty, but let's not use our liberty for an occasion to the flesh. And so he, he's asking, what is liberty to you? So he would, he would call out different people in the congregation like Henry. What is liberty to you? And Lynn, what is liberty to you? And, and Nikki, what, what is liberty to you? And he would call out different people. And this was back when we still all went to church in the same vehicle, our whole family. That is now long gone, you know. It's different times, different people need to be there. But, and so on, on the way home, we're talking about this. And my son Eugene was driving that day. And, and we're, we're there just talking about the different answers and and like that, that people gave great answers, you know. And, and Eugene said, man, I was ready. I, I would have been ready if he would have picked on me. And I said, oh, really? I said, good. I said, what would you have said? He said, well, I would have, I would have told him that. And I, and I wrote it down. I would have told him that liberty is freedom with boundaries. Freedom with no boundaries is bondage. And I'm like, man, somebody taught you well. I mean, where did you get that? <laughs> Goodness gracious. But let, let, me, let me read it again. Liberty is freedom with boundaries. Freedom with no boundaries is bondage. In fact, tomorrow morning, Lord willing, at Pathway, I want to share about the, whole, the, the blessing of boundaries. And if we don't have them, how chaotic our life gets and life and for others as well. But liberty is freedom with boundaries. Freedom with no boundaries is bondage. Boundaries are a blessing. Somehow we have the idea that freedom in the Spirit has no boundaries. No. In fact, freedom in the Spirit has high boundaries. The Word of God, there is no higher standard than this. Wow. And when I saw that, I was like, Lord, I never want to be scared of the Holy Spirit. And I began to pray. Lord, I want to know what it is to walk under the anointing and the influence of the Holy Spirit. I want to hold nothing back. The fullness of you. That's what I want. Because I want to discern any unholy spirit. Um, I referred the other night, I believe, about Pastor Ben in... Kenya, and he was praying down in the dirt. Remember that illustration, that, that prison service? That same service, I'll never forget. Now, there in Africa, when you go into prison, like, it's so different than here. When you go there, you go in and you, you, you sit in the OIC's office, and the, the servants bring chairs, and you sit in there, you get acquainted, you visit for like an hour at least. We have the service in our mind. We want to get back in it. No, we visit. We get, it. we get acquainted. At that prison, the OIC officer in charge, he introduced himself. He said, I'm a born-again Christian. I'm an interpreter. There we do all our preaching through an interpreter. I'm an interpreter, and we got acquainted. We talked. We fellowship. Finally went in, set up, uh, sang, and then I was just starting to preach. And the, the interpreter that was with me the week before in the open air meetings, he was there. So we knew each other. He grabs the microphone. He starts interpreting for me. And we were, we were just rolling. About 10 minutes into it, and all of a sudden, here comes this officer in charge, walking out to my interpreter from about 10 feet behind us where all, all our staff were sitting, and he come walking out to my interpreter. Well, my first thought was, uh-oh, we got trouble. We probably got to shut things down. Like, if the officer in charge or warden in a prison in U.S. comes walking up to the 
interpreter in prison, that usually means trouble. Well, I didn't know what was going on, but he walks up to my interpreter. Within about five seconds, my interpreter walks back, and there stands the officer in charge with the microphone, and he looks at me. And I remembered, oh, he's an interpreter. And he came walking over to me, and then he whispered in my ear. Well, I asked him, I said, are you going to interpret for me? And he said, yes, sir. And then he whispered in my ear, and he said, I want the anointing. I didn't think much of it. So I had the sermon on my mind and preached and he interpreted. I mean, he didn't miss a beat. Just God's anointing was flowing. So many inmates came forward that day. After we drove away, I was like, I want the anointing. What was that all about? And I just remember, this was what God spoke to me about through that. Here was a man that was not scared. It had nothing to do with me. But he, knows, he knew what happens to him if he fully embraces the anointing. And he was not scared of it. And I am convinced without a shadow of a doubt that that day when those inmates saw their man in charge give himself under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, it broke their heart. It broke their heart. I get glory bumps just telling you this. It was incredible. He was not scared of the anointing. Um, I'll close with this. When I was 13, 14 years old, just exposed to drugs and alcohol, especially drugs, had drank some before that. One of my first times I was introduced to marijuana. I gave in. Soon after that, I'd go to bed at night. My room was laid out in such a way where my bed, I'd look across the room through a doorway, and in line with the doorway was an outside window. So we lived on a farm. Amish farm, no nightlights, actually got through life without nightlights. But at night, it was dark. You didn't have big pole security light. It was dark outside. But I would open my eyes and I'd look across the room and in that window, middle of the night, bright fluorescent, the whole window was lit up used to scare me, just scare me. I'd pull the covers up over my head. I'd try to put myself to sleep, and I'd peek out, and there was the light. This went on, not every night, but periodically, for several weeks, periodically, maybe three, four times. I don't remember all the little details. And then it, then it disappeared. didn't happen anymore. But it, the next seven, eight years wasted my life. Ungodly living, I've told you some about it. Ungodly living, drugs, alcohol, all the stuff that goes with it. At the age of 22, 
gave my life to Christ. Changed my life completely. About a year later, got married. My wife and I didn't have children yet. Went out to eat on a Saturday night. Still living in Ohio. And we're there at the restaurant just talking about this new life in Christ. Just a Christian for a little over a year, newly married. Talking about this new life in Christ. Just how blessed we are. Driving home, State Route 39, Sugar Creek, Ohio. All of a sudden, we're sitting there driving. The glory of God filled the car. Ruth Ann was like, what's happening? I wanted to just take my shoes off. I had never told anybody. In fact, I've forgotten about the light in the window. Never told anybody. Till that night, the Holy Spirit brought to brought back. Remember, he brings all things to remembrance. He brought back the bright light in the window. And he revealed to me, that was me drawing you. But you were scared. But tonight, it was like, yes. Never been scared of the Holy Spirit since. Fully embrace the Holy Spirit and watch what he will do with your life. The invitation tonight is, Lord, I'm just coming. And I believe many of you are there, fully embracing the fullness of the Holy Spirit. But if there is one little tiny ounce of just doubt or question about going too far with the Holy Spirit, I pray the Holy Spirit would erase all doubt and would cause us just to come and say, yes, Lord, the fullness and nothing less. Can we stand together tonight? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Father, as we stand in your presence tonight, we worship you. We thank you for the light. We thank you for the anointing. We thank you for the filling. And Lord, we thank you. I, I pray that, Lord, somehow through the Holy Spirit, you, you took this message and you interpreted it to every heart. And I pray that it was just somehow just, just an understanding in all of our hearts. So, Lord, I need discernment. Lord, tonight I want to just publicly declare that I want to know the real deal so that the moment the unreal comes, that there's an immediate detection. Help me to live that way. So if you're here tonight and you want to just step out of your seat and come only if the Holy Spirit is drawing you like any other night, you want to just step out and just come and say, yes, Lord. I want to fully embrace the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. I want to 